Hey gang, this is Chad. A confluence of events has occurred, including a snowstorm here, that caused me uh, some difficulty in getting a, an episode out this week. No Reds news to talk about anyway, so uh, I apologize for not having a new episode, but I really think you're going to enjoy what we do have for you here. This episode is what uh, we're going to call the Riverfront Classics uh, series, right? This is episode number 58 of the show. And what this is, is from October 6th of 2010. October 6th, 2010. So if you're thinking uh, ahead of me here, you might think, oh, okay. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, a preview of the playoffs that year that uh, Chris Garber joined me for. And you, you'll tell we've come a long way since 2010 this show has. Good goodness, we're talking over 11 years now. It's just it's hard to believe. But uh, Chris and I kind of break down uh, all the matchups, uh, made our predictions, and uh, we're pretty excited about that, you know, the Reds' first playoff appearance in uh what like a, a million years or something and, and sort of unexpected so uh sit back relax enjoy this i really do think you'll enjoy it and uh, keep giving us that feedback we'll be back next week with a brand new episode for you here at the riverfront thank you all Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast, a pretty special edition today. We're talking about the playoffs, and we're talking about the Cincinnati Reds in the same podcast, uh, somewhat surprising. I'm your host, Chad Dotson from RedLegNation.com. Joining me is uh, one of my fellow editors at Red Leg Nation, Chris Garber. How you doing today, Chris? Doing great, Chad. Good, good. Glad you could join us today, and it's, uh, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, season's over, um, and people are still talking about the Reds. You can't say you expected that when the season started. I did not. I thought maybe, I don't know, we'd be talking about who our next manager would be. Uh, figured maybe Dusty might have been gone the day after the season ended or something like that, but I didn't think we'd be in the news uh, the way we are. So it's been a great surprise, and probably about a year earlier than I thought, it, that idealistically maybe we'd be good in 2011, but uh, I'll take it any way I can get it. Absolutely. You know, in, in the preseason, uh, Bill Lack and I spoke uh, on one of these podcasts and pretty much agreed that we thought – you know, maybe a 500, around 500 team. If things go well, slightly above 500. And uh, then, like you said, that next year would be uh, the year when they take that big step. Well, and certainly they're a, they're a year ahead of schedule, and I'm not complaining a bit. It's been a, been a lot of fun. But we drew the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, two-time defending National League champs. And we'll do some predictions maybe later on, but what are your just sort of initial reactions to having to play the Phillies? Well, you know, uh, the last week or so of the season, we were trying to sort out who we we're going to play every every day, and uh, the Phillies are obviously the the elephant in the room. They're clearly the best team in the league, maybe the best team in baseball. So, you, you know, first thought is you don't want to play them, but uh, you got to play them eventually. If you want to if you want to make it to the World Series, you want to win the the ring. You got to beat the good teams anyway. And the more I think about it, I think the Reds actually match up pretty well against the Phillies. Uh, you know, and it, it's it's not a trip to the West Coast, which it could have been for San Francisco or the Padres if they'd made it. And uh, like I said, the the series where where the Reds got swept right uh, around the All Star break in Philadelphia was a, a rough series, but it was really good baseball. I think the Reds played really well, and uh, so did the Phillies. And hopefully, we'll we'll see more baseball like that here in the upcoming week. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right that the Reds do match up. Uh, fairly well with Philadelphia, and uh, of course, 
you know, you, you don't want to go too far with that because it's clear the, the Phillies are the best team around and, and, like you said, possibly the best team in baseball. Um, you know, they won more games than anyone in the National League, and they're just they're a solid team uh, top to bottom. But you start breaking it down and, and, and taking a look at it, uh, they really have uh, an edge over the Reds in starting pitching. And we'll get into some of that a little bit more in just a moment. But uh, but really, overall, it's, it's not a bad matchup. And, and my thoughts have been this. If we're going to play the Phillies eventually, I mean, I guess if, if we didn't draw them in the first round, there's a chance they'd lose and we wouldn't have to play them in the National League Championship Series. But if you got to play the Phillies, wouldn't you want to play them in a, a best-of-five series? Don't you think maybe the shorter series might uh, maybe a little more of a crapshoot or uh, may help the Reds, give the Reds a little bit of an edge? I think that's a great point. I mean, if you're if you're David, you only want to play Goliath as, as few times as you have to. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's anything can happen in baseball and anything can happen in a short series especially. So I think you're right. That's a great point. Yeah, the cream could maybe rise in that seven-game series, and who knows? Maybe maybe that gives them a little bit of uh, I don't I wouldn't say an edge, but uh, something for us to hang our hat on as we're looking to uh, trying yeah. to make a case for how the Reds are going to win this series. Well, I want to talk about anything other than Roy Halladay, uh, Ray Halladay, Roy Halladay, Roy Oswald, and, uh, and Cole Hamels. I don't want to talk about that part of the game at all. So. I'm short sorry. series matchups, who hits better fly ball pitchers, all that kind of stuff. I'm cool with, but let's not talk about uh, their big three. Well, I'm sorry, but we're going to talk about that later. Um, but, uh, but I you agree. Talk about Kyle Kendrick. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Kyle Kendrick. Ex- exactly. Uh, their number two starter a couple years ago, I think, uh, in the playoffs. Um, well, let's talk about um, the playoff roster. I think you know Mark Sheldon posted something uh, not long ago here, and it's not been announced yet. The playoff roster won't be announced, I bet, until 9:59 tomorrow morning because they're due at 10 a.m. the day of the game. And uh, that's sort of the way Dusty's been operating lately, just not letting anybody have any more information than they're entitled to. But I think we'll see it tomorrow morning. And and Mark Sheldon makes the case, and we'll dig into some of the names uh, in just a moment, but he says that final spot comes down to Jim Edmonds and and Juan Francisco. What are your initial thoughts about that? Well, you know, I think that's probably right. I think um, that for some reason... They like to have a lot of left-handed bats around, and uh, Edmonds is obviously the guy they wanted. They they got him at the point of having him on the postseason roster. They got him to be a bat off the bench and maybe even a spot starter against. Uh, well, this is when Jay Bruce wasn't hitting so well, so I think that idea is done. But uh, you know, maybe they maybe they put Edmonds in left field if he could play it. But I think so. If I think if he's healthy, he's the guy to put on the roster. Um, if not, I, I guess Francisco is useful. I, I'm not positive that I would be comfortable putting Francisco in a game, honestly, in a playoff situation, in a in a close game where, you know, there, there's just better options all the way through than than Juan Francisco. I can't imagine him getting into a game, but I suppose it's either him or, uh, well, I don't know who another pitcher. I guess. Yeah, Corky I don't. Miller, maybe. Possibly, uh, and and who knows? Corky's mustache could bring a little bit of uh, the the mojo we need, but. Uh, you're right. I, I'm not. My my feelings about Juan Francisco are well known. I'm I'm not comfortable at all with him. Certainly not in a spot where you, you need him to uh, put the bat on the ball um, to give you a chance to win in the postseason. But there's really not a whole lot of since Lance Nix is since Lance Nix is healthy and probably going to be on the roster. Looks like uh, you know the rest of the roster sort of shapes up the way you would expect. Um, the only thing is the bullpen is who who they would be bringing the bullpen since they're going to go with three starting pitchers and. Uh, Homer Bailey and Travis Wood out to the pen. And I think probably the most logical thing is obviously you're going to have uh, Cordero and, and Arthur Rhodes and Nick Massett. Um, Logan Andrusek, I think, and Bill Bray are the, are the last two guys. Uh, there's some other guy. Um, 
Oh, oh Chapman. Yeah, they'll probably <laughs> probably have a role as Chapman on the roster. But yeah, I think he could. He might have a role against the Phillies. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'm actually a little bit surprised about Bray. I mean, I'm 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 trying to see you know what he's what he's done for us lately. I guess, and I'm just looking here and uh, he's he pitched pretty well the last couple months of the season. I guess. Um, but you know, I, I guess I'm. I would have maybe thought Jordan Smith would uh, would stick around for that roster. Do they need? You know, I guess they just think they want to load up with lefties, so they don't have to. Um, you know, let a left-handed reliever face any of the right-handers in the Phillies lineup. I guess that's the idea, so they can just mix and match. But uh, I don't know. They really need with with Rhodes and and Wood and uh, Chapman out there. I, I don't know that they really need to flip-flop guys back and forth. Those guys can get out lefties and righties just as well. Yeah, I think if you're making a, a choice between Bill Bray and, and Jordan Smith or whoever you're making that choice between, I don't know that uh, when you're talking about the fourth left-hander in the bullpen, I, I can't see why it would be that big a deal. Um, if you've got three, when you consider that there's going to be so many off days during this series, you're going to be able to use that bullpen however you need to use the bullpen. Uh, you know, Guys are going to be getting their rest, and you can use some of these guys uh, more often than you would maybe ordinarily. So I don't know that having Bray out there just because he's a left-hander is 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 the right idea. But on the other hand, he's been okay lately, and I don't, I can't say that uh, Jordan Smith necessarily gives us a better chance or um, in that no, spot. It's, so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if either one of those guys is pitching, it's probably not. Um, you know, it's probably not the greatest situation, I'm guessing. And and I'll, I'm happy with the Lemon Mary guy on the roster. There you go. Uh oh. Um, well, let me. Uh, let me well, since we're talking about bullpens, I, I read a really interesting article about uh, by Dave Cameron on Fangraphs today. I don't know if you saw it. Great article, he, yeah. Yeah, he proposed something really interesting that, that I'm sure Dusty Baker's not going to do in a million years. But he basically said, throw Volquez out there and tell him you're going to go a couple times through the order and knock yourself out. And then uh, if he's worn out in the fourth or fifth inning, then you just roll out either Wood or Bailey get those guys to go three and bridge yourself to your to your relievers, um, you know, the, the back of the bullpen guys. And it's a great idea. I mean, given the, the structure of this series with the one day on, one day off, there's only, I think, two back-to-back games in the entire series. So you could you don't have to worry about, about rest, really, for anybody. Bullpen, uh, regular position player, you don't have to worry about anybody's rest. You can, you can unload the bullpen every day if you want. Um, I don't think there's a chance in the world that Dusty's going to manage like that. It's just he's not an out of the box thinker when it comes to in game management. But uh, it was a, it was a really cool idea, and if you you know encourage anybody to go over to Fangraphs.com and check out that article. Yeah, absolutely, and that's sort of what I was uh, I was thinking about that article when I mentioned earlier about uh, the way to use the bullpen in terms of having those days off. I think it's a great idea. You send uh, Volquez out there and uh, just tell him, yeah, rock and roll. You know, you're, you're going to bat once, maybe. You know, do do what you can. If it's if you're uh, if 75 pitches is all we can get out of you, uh, you're going full strength, and you know that's fine. We've got plenty of pitchers uh, behind you to back you up, and it's an interesting way. It gets into it gets into the bullpen a little earlier, and it allows you know Dusty to play some of those matchups a little bit earlier in, in any key spots in terms of the lefty righty splits. And um, I thought it was a, a fascinating article as well. We probably should link that from uh, Red Leg Nation. Um, I'll try to remember to do that when I post up the the podcast because it's really a I agree. It was a, a fascinating idea, and there's no chance we'll see it, but it's a, it's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, when you've got eight relievers, I mean, that's the kind of thing you, you should think about doing. I mean, you you can do it, and you probably should, especially when you got all those off days. Um, you know, it's it's 
probably not intentional, but that's a lot about how Sparky Anderson manages his bullpen back in the big rib machine days, in the postseason especially. You'd just see starters coming out of the game when they'd get two guys on and one run in, and that'd be that for them. But uh, you know, I think the Reds, Dusty lives and dies a little bit with his players, and, and that's how it's going to be. So hopefully we'll get the Edison Volquez in game one that, that we've seen um, that the Louisville Bats fans saw and then the Reds fans saw in September, where he was probably one of the top four or five pitchers in baseball the last the last month in the big leagues. And then, uh, you know, in addition, the three starts he had down at Louisville, he tore it up there. So hopefully he's got it figured out. Well, let's hope. Uh, you know, it was a surprising uh, pick to start uh, game one. But, you know, on the other hand, like you said, he's, he's pitched awfully well. Small sample size, I suppose. But uh, there have been spots here lately where he's looked just incredible and I've been saying since the first time I watched the guy pitch uh, after he came to Cincinnati in the Josh Hamilton trade that his his stuff is just about as electric as anyone I've seen when he's on. The problem is whether or not he's going to be able to hit the strike zone, and that's a continuing problem, although it's not been as bad maybe lately as uh, it was at one point uh, when he first came back from this Tommy John surgery. But, um, you know, he's pitching well. He is probably the most talented uh, of the the Reds pitchers. And, uh, you know, the more I've thought about it, the more I've come to – um, I don't know if agree is the right word, but to understand where uh, Dusty Baker's coming from and making him the game one starter, and uh, you know, I can't really argue with it too much. I don't guess. No, it, it's you know, it's it's a little bit. Um, you know, I'm talking about Dusty as a conventional guy, but it's a little bit out of the box. Thank you, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the 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 expected move and and the the veteran. You know, the, if you're if you're a manager who loves veterans and all that kind of stuff, as Dusty has a reputation, the move is to put is to put Bronson out there and uh, let him do his thing and either. Good Bronson or bad Bronson shows up. He's not going to throw a no-hitter, but he's, you know, arguably most of the time will keep you in the game. Um, on the bad days, you're going to be blown out by the second inning. And, you know, but but nobody's going to question putting putting Arroyo out there in game one. So, uh, you know, my, my hat's off to Dusty on this one. I think this is uh, this is a creative thinking. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if Volquez is way off and he walks six guys in two innings, you know, Halliday's probably, you're not going to beat him anyway. So, you know, you got you got good matchups then in the other two games. So, yeah, it's I can see it. Yeah, Dusty uh, thinking out of the box. I like uh, I like the sound of that. You know, it another another thing there is we all thought Arroyo would because he's a veteran and because he's had some postseason experience. But when you look at the Reds are going to be facing Roy Halladay, uh, they're probably not going to get a lot of runs as you said. So maybe Volquez is the guy that if he's on gives the Reds the best chance of really uh, shutting down the. Uh, the Phillies lineup, at least uh, this is what I'm thinking the Dusty, maybe may going through Dusty's head, rather than Arroyo, who, you know, gonna, keeping you in the game is not going to cut it. Uh, although Arroyo always keeps us in the game, usually, that's not going to cut it maybe against Roy Halladay. You need somebody that can uh, yeah. possibly uh, pick Exactly. You've got, you've got to have a, a Travis Wood, you know, not quite a perfect game through eight, but you've got to have a, a, a top-notch ace outing to beat Halladay at his own game. So I think Volquez is probably the, the most capable of the three of, of, you know, throwing a no-hitter. And, you know, I, I've been dreading uh, facing Roy Halladay anyway, and, and you just uh, reminded me, uh, Travis Wood almost had a perfect game. They still couldn't beat Halladay. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a yeah. fun game, uh, a fun game one, I guess. Um, so, well, yeah, I've just uh, got in front of me here, Chad, some of the uh, the versus, Halladay versus Reds hitters. And I don't know if you've looked at it, but, it, you know, for, for a guy as good as he is, you know the Reds have hit him. The Reds players have hit him okay. I mean, I think they probably do better than the league average is against him. I mean, it's mostly a sample size thing. And you know, Votto's three for eleven with a double and a homer, so that helps. But uh, other than Orlando Cabrera, 
the other guys are all in the you know the the uh, 750 to 780 OPS range. I mean they they hold their own. I mean Jay Bruce is also three for 11 against them. I mean these are tiny sample sizes, but at least you know they're not 0 for 11 with 10 strikeouts. Right, they're not gonna. They shouldn't be uh, afraid to, to walk up to the plate. I guess you know, and and we talked about that game where we almost had the perfect game and and uh, Halliday won. But you know, the, the start before that against the Reds on June thirtieth, um, the Reds got thirteen hits and four runs off Halliday. So I mean, uh, it, it's it's this is not an impossible task here. We don't want to make Halliday's a great great pitcher and as good a pitcher as you're going to see anywhere. But uh, he's not invincible, and, and there's reason to believe the Reds could uh, could do okay against him. Yep, I, you know, you know, one thing I, I hope to see out of the Reds, I hope they play the same kind of, uh, they, like fundamentally sound quality, quality defense, sharp baseball that they played for you know 150 of the games this year, and not the the, you know, cue the Benny Hill music games they played <laughs> against the the Cardinals there, where Johnny Gomes is throwing the ball over Hernandez, then he throws it back over Cabrera, and, and then it goes through somebody's legs and. And you know I don't want to see that, but uh, if they play the short baseball they normally play, they can they can play well in, in close games. I think. And even if they don't play that sharp, at least we've gotten a Benny Hill reference out of it. So you know, <laughs> right? So feel so. free to cue up, <laughs> cue up that music on the on the closing credits. There you go. Um, looking at over the uh, potential, uh, yeah, I agree with you about that. Before we move on, um, I think that if the Reds play some of that baseball that we've seen from this year, the, the good defense and the you know, smart base running, and, and there have been times this year where they've been nothing short of outstanding uh, there. You know, still a game, still game one against Halliday, and uh, things are all of a sudden looking pretty good uh, for the good guys. And so, I would hope they'll come out sharp and and, and ready to play, focused. Um, just looking briefly at the the rest of uh, Mark Sheldon's proposed roster, and, and I think is absolutely the way it's going to be. But again, who knows with Dusty? But uh, Ramon Hernandez and Ryan Hannigan, catcher, infielders, Votto, Phillips, Cabrera, Roland, Cairo, Yanish. I mean, it's the same guys. Um, outfielders, Bruce Stubbs, Gomes, Heisey, Nix. There's really no surprises uh, out of any of these. Really, it was just that last bullpen spot with uh, Bray or Smith or whomever, and then the final spot with Edmonds or Francisco. So not a whole lot of surprises. Uh, there are no Billy Bateses uh, being added to the to the roster <laughs> no. at the last moment here. So um, we sort of know what we're going to get. Um, any, any surprises that you see out of there, or is that pretty much what you expected? No, no. I mean, you know, I'd have been real surprised if I'd seen Chris Villeca on there or, uh, you know, something like that. I mean, they could, you could, you could make a case for just about anybody. Everybody that's, that's put on a red uniform this year just about has played pretty well while they've had it on. I think we looked at that a few weeks ago that, you know, all, all the bit players have, have, uh, outperformed their projections and they've all contributed. So you can make a case for a lot of different guys, uh, being on that roster, but I think this is the, that the makes a lot of sense. There's hard, it's hard to argue with anything that, that at least what Sheldon projects Dusty's going to do. Oh, I hate having a situation where it's difficult to argue with something Dusty does. I'm not used to that. Uh, I'm used to yeah, that. I know. Every, every, you know what, though? Everything's sunny right now. So <laughs> it is. They and They can throw $4 million a year at him and sign him up through 2012, and I'm not going to complain this week. I know if you'd told us that 12 months ago, uh, I can't imagine the meltdown that uh, we'd have had at Red Leg Nation. But t- today, you know, nobody wants to say anything uh, at all because, hey, you know, he's, uh, for all his faults, and there are some, he's taken this team to the, the playoffs. And um, and I'm so happy about that that I just, I, I can't, uh, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to look at anything. That's yeah, you know, and, and, and the thing about it, I mean, I mean like I said, it's, it's maybe I'm just blind right now, but we, we get, um, you know, the, the stuff Dusty doesn't do well, it's pretty obvious. The end game stuff can be crazy. The lineup stuff is crazy. And the stuff he does well 
we only hear about. We never can see it ourselves, and we only hear these rumors. And it's the same kind of rumors you hear about, you know, Derek Jeter's defense. Oh, you can't see it with your eyes. But you know, Dusty's management of people is 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 legitimate. I think, and and uh, you you look at so many other teams and so many other managers who get who get no results at all. You know, they they're bad on, in game, and they're they're must not be good at motivation either. So uh, the, you know, if Dusty's a, a glass halfway full i'll take the half full i guess and rather than than keep looking at what's not there yeah and and i've also with dusty um tried this at times and i've been trying to do this lately as well take a little bit of a step back a couple of examples um back in the, the mid 90s i used to complain to some of my uh, some of my friends and, and people that didn't really follow the reds as closely as i did about uh, about jim Bowden. at the time though the reds were kind of winning uh, you know and he had some high profile successes with the guys he picked up and day to day you know uh, I was irritated just about everything the guy did, but these other guys were like, "What are you talking about? You know, the Reds are competitive every year, and you know th- he did this he right, Pete right? Exactly, he, he picked up Pete Shurik, and it worked out. And 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 so I, I would, at that time, I tried to sort of take a step back and and see, well, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? Because I'm too close to the the situation. And and a friend of the podcast, Joe Poznanski, writes occasionally about uh, Garden Hire, uh, Minnesota's manager, and about how he just thinks he's the best manager anywhere. Uh, because look at the success he's had. But the guys that follow the Twins every day will say, well, they're in this game and that game and, and you know, tactically. And we all complain about the things Dusty does day-to-day and the silly lineups and things like that. But, there's some, as you said, there's something to his managing of men, and uh, and he's doing something right. The players love him and love playing for him. And, uh, you know, uh, I just wonder if maybe we need to take a little bit of a step back. And, and although so, most of those criticisms are legitimate that we've uh, – uh, levied against him, um, maybe we're not seeing the the forest for the trees in some instances. I I don't know. I just uh, trying to trying to justify uh, uh, thinking on, uh, both ways on it. I guess. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, transition quickly here. Unless you have something else to add on anything we've uh, talked about so far. Um, no, it's so. We've been uh, talking at Red Leg Nation about uh, we've been doing some previews and, and sort of doing a head-to-head comparison of. The Reds lineups and the and the, and the rotations in side by side with the Phillies and of course uh, uh, Phillies blog's been doing the same thing. We've been sort of going back and forth a little bit, uh, and I thought it'd be a good way to sort of look at this uh, this matchup and and see how the Reds stack up. You know, everybody expects the Reds to be huge underdogs, and and uh, when you start looking at it a little closer, maybe not as as we mentioned earlier. We'll start with catcher. Obviously, uh, the Reds. Uh, Ramon Hernandez and Ryan Hannigan, no complaints about them this year. There are small complaints. Uh, Hernandez is uh, weak defensively at times, and you know um, there are issues with his arm and things like that. But uh, both guys have, you know, put up OPS pluses. Uh, uh, Hannigan at 127, Hernandez 114. I mean, you can't you can't argue with that. Philadelphia's primary catcher, of course, is Carlos Ruiz, who had a pretty fine uh, OPS himself, right in line with what Hannigan did, and. Um, you see any advantage either way uh, at catcher? I don't. I don't. I don't see much. I mean, Ruiz Ruiz has smoked the ball in the postseason the last uh, few years, and you know whether that whether that's something that can carry over from year to year. I, I probably don't don't think so. But I, I love the Reds catchers. I, Hernandez can can infuriate you sometimes, but uh, you know the guy the guy's pretty consistent at hitting. I mean, he 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 gets his hits pretty regularly. He's not. A real streaky guy like some of the other hitters we have, which is which is nice. And uh, Hannigan, I just love. I mean, the guy calls a good game. The guy catches or receives the ball well. He throws well. 
And, uh, you know, that's one thing I, 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 I not, it's not really a comparison, but we, you know, Hannigan, I think his, uh, his caught stealing numbers kind of suffer. And I think that's as much to do with who he catches as with his arm. I think he gets, he gets guys that, that allow a little, a few more base runners and, and don't hold them as well, I think. And, uh, so I think that's maybe a, a function of situation rather than him, because I think he's got a great arm. So I think that's, I think this was a pretty close call between the two teams. Yeah, definitely, and and I agree with what you say about the Reds catchers. Uh, Hannigan is uh, just love that guy. I mean, he he does everything well. Seems like, and, and you know, Hernandez was a guy that his reputation had lagged pretty uh, badly at the end of his time in uh, Baltimore. People saying he was lazy, and he's certainly not uh, Hannigan's equal defensively. But you know, from literally day one this year, Hernandez has hit the ball. Like you mentioned, uh, the cons- consistency he's been. You know, steady all season long. I keep waiting for him to fall off, and he never really has. And and I've been very, very pleased with what we've gotten out of him. So, you want to take first base? Well, first base is thanks because that's a really easy one. It um, is, isn't it? You know, I, I don't know if Charlie Manuel thinks it's easy, but uh, it's Joey Votto's a lot better player than than Ryan Howard is, uh, on, defensively as well as offensively. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think I think this is. I'm really excited about this series, and I hopefully. Um, the Yankees will be done in three games, so we can actually get a primetime game, so somebody in the country can see Joey Votto play and see how good he is. I mean, it's just you, you, that's one of the things you step back and you look at those numbers and you're like, wow, this is this is a 10.24 OPS in a you know a, a deflated ball a little bit era, and uh, I, I just hope he comes through big in the playoffs, doesn't put too much pressure on himself. And uh, and really puts up some big numbers. And I hope Ryan Howard strikes out three times a game. <laughs> but he's he'll no, still. I like, Ryan. I like Ryan Howard, but I just really wanted to do poorly this series. He'll still be uh, Charlie Manuel's guy. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I like Ryan Howard too. Um, I thought that he was he's been got this huge new contract that was way more than what he's worth. But yeah, I like watching the guy play, and he's not a bad player. And, and I don't, you know, we we talk about how Votto's clearly a better player, and. and um, it, it reminds me of you know uh, don't don't compare anybody to uh, to Johnny Bench you know uh, don't embarrass anybody by comparing him to Johnny Bench like uh, Sparky said and, and, and not calling Votto Joey uh, Johnny Bench but don't don't embarrass Ryan Howard uh, by comparing him to Joey Votto uh, at this point. Ryan Howard's a, a nice little player. He's not he shouldn't have made the All Star team over Votto. He's not Votto's equal in any respect, but. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. Nothing against uh, him, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings to see him uh, striking out. And I'd l- I just love to see Aroldis Chapman make him look silly once or twice. Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. Like somebody said today, I, I don't think he wants to see that at bat at all. No, no. I don't think Howard is looking forward to that at all. No, I, I can imagine many, anyone is, but certainly not uh, not Howard. Uh, moving on to second base, and this is, you know, I think there's a pretty clear edge at second base, but it's a sort of an interesting. Uh, Interesting matchup anyway. Obviously, Brandon Phillips is uh, the Reds' second baseman, and, you know, he made the all-star team this year, and um, I, everyone thinks he's a pretty good bet to win his second gold glove. We'll see. Uh, he leads on the ESPN uh, Baseball Tonight web gyms, if that means anything. Um, and, and he's had some, uh, some some highs and some really low lows, and at the end of the year, his, his hitting stats were pretty good, above average uh, stats, and, uh, of course, good fielding. But on the other side, you've got Chase Utley, who, you know, He's among in the conversation, certainly for the best second baseman in the National League, uh, if not right on top of that. Um, I give Philadelphia the edge there, and I think that it's not 
extremely close. But, uh, you know, which Brandon Phillips are we going to get, I guess? If we get the one that's been uh, awful at the plate the last month, we're in trouble. If we get the guy that, you know, uh, played earlier this season, maybe it's a little bit closer than it would be otherwise. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's 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 interesting. I mean, Phillips' numbers at the end of the year are pretty close to what they were the last couple of years. I mean, once you adjust it for the the offensive level of the, of the league, he actually had a better year. But, um, you know, he's he's the, the the hand injury obviously bothered him a lot a lot more than than we probably thought. I mean, or some of it, some people thought anyway. I mean, he he was not right after he got hit in the hand, and he seemed to hit a little bit better the last. What do you say? The last week, the last series, maybe. I mean, the last, I guess, the last two series, he was, he was uh, seven for twenty or seven for sixteen. So he was hitting the ball pretty good against the Astros and the Brewers there. But uh, man, he needs to hit because he's going to be at the top of the lineup again, and Orlando Cabrera is behind him, and I know he's not going to hit. So um, Phillips has got to go, or Joey Votto is going to be batting with two outs and nobody on quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh... You know, it's a situation where we need him. He's going to be leading off, and um, I was I was actually going to look up here to see what his on base percentage was. He had a, ended up with a career high on base percentage um, this year, slightly for him, uh, but it dropped. It was at it was at uh, I guess three forty three when he got hit. Okay, on the, on the hand cost him ten points, eleven points. Then at the by the end of the year. Yeah, so in the last month it dropped uh, some. I actually wouldn't have been surprised to see it, that it dropped more. His o- OPS actually, where it hurt him was in his power. His uh, slugging dropped from 458 down to 430. Uh, so his OPS went from 801 down to 762 in uh, in those in that month. Um, although you know you look at the last few games, and it really was I guess the last couple, last week, uh, eight days, something like that. He he started hitting better and with more power, and uh, so you know. You're, we're trying to be optimistic, and you're trying to. Uh, you're hopeful that he's going to come back. If he doesn't, it puts the Reds uh, really behind the eight ball. So, um, I'll let you take third base if you like. Do you agree though? We give uh, Philadelphia the pretty clear advantage second base. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, I, I, it was interesting reading on Crash Burn Alley um, how confident they are that that Utley is, you know, quote clearly the best all around second baseman in baseball. I mean, I think he is. I think he is. But they really they really rely on uh, ultimate zone rating over there at least. You know that Bill does in that particular article, and I'm not that convinced with defensive metrics. That uh, that yeah. I, I'm definitely not convinced that at least a better the defensive second baseman than Brandon Phillips. I don't think that's true. So no, I don't but, either. Um, I don't watch him. You know, I watch him ten times a year. So I'll say this though: uh, whether he's the best defensive second baseman or not, and and I've come to like Phillips uh, this year more than than ever before. But uh, I, I can't imagine there, there are very many people that wouldn't love to have Chase Utley on their team. I mean, he's just uh, yeah, that guy's. That was legit. I mean, and that, that that helped that he you know got hurt there in the the first red series and wasn't available for him the second time around. I think that that made a pretty big difference. I think you know they played they played some of their their scrubs uh, more than they planned to this year. So, but third base. Uh, so Scott Rowland um, came back to earth a little bit in the second half. I mean, he was he was drinking from the fountain of youth there in the first half and uh, came back to earth and and. You know, he nicked up a little bit the back. But you know, on the whole, obviously, I'm thrilled with what he's done. Uh, I saw him in spring training, and I thought he looked like Frankenstein. I mean, he, he just couldn't move his upper body at all. I was thought it was going to be a long, long year for him, and he came out of the out of the gate strong and, and played great. So, um, you know, obviously, the question is who we're going to see in in this short series. Is Roland? Um, is he? Is he? 
feeling good? I don't know. He doesn't talk. You know, is is the does the extra days of rest help him or does the cold weather hurt him? You don't you don't really know. Um, on the other side, you got Placido Polanco, who is old and beat up himself, and on the season he really didn't do much at all offensively. Um, and he's he's an okay third baseman, but not a great one. So I think the edge is Rollins. Um, but you know, I can see Rollin I can see Rollin not doing a whole lot in the series. Unfortunately, he he needs to, but. Uh, I could I could see a a series where he you know doesn't produce a lot, or I could see a series where he takes over and is the MVP if they had one. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think uh, it's clear edge for Cincinnati, but uh, it's, at some point during this season, Roland has looked just awful. Uh, he's you know the last uh, month or a half month and a half, there's been times when he just couldn't do anything right. Um, overall, really a, a fabulous season. Before the All Star break, I never in a million years would have guessed that Roland could put up that type of of uh, those types of numbers for three months. And, and even if you look at his overall numbers in the second half, actually, they're pretty much in line with what I thought we'd get out of him. And they're, they're not bad, you know. They're, yeah, they're, you're right. You know, they're not what he put up in the first half, and maybe he spoiled everyone. But uh, even his probably normal level is not bad and, and still better than what you're going to get from Polanco. But if, if somehow he could, uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, recapture some of that uh, the power and, and some of the magic from his first half, uh, he was just—he was fun to watch. Um, so, you know, not a whole lot to argue about there. Uh, Polanco, you know, is Polanco. I actually, Polanco has actually played in the league longer than I thought he would. I, I wasn't impressed with him ever, and uh, he keeps hanging <laughs> around. Weird. And um, you know, he's—he gets to start for good teams uh, all the time. So I—I I don't know, but uh, well, uh, you get to, now you get to talk about uh, about my favorite red. I think. You know, I miscalculated. I, I tried to. I meant to set this up so that you would uh, get a chance to talk about. Uh, uh, actually, no. We. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, my favorite red here. I think, and we're going to leave you to, to do left field next. I think that's your favorite red. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, I was. I was. Ref- I, I was referring to uh, shortstop. I know. I know. And I'm going to do that. But I. I, I think that you're uh, stuck with number seven. All right. Yeah, I think that uh, <laughs> that you might have more fun doing that one. I may go off on a Dennis uh, Miller rant here. <laughs> that's fine. I don't want to get off on a rant here. Here, but at shortstop, you know, and and you made a comment, sort of uh, saying kind of what I was saying as well. You know, I, I looked and looked and looked for some way to praise Orlando Cabrera or to find a, a silver lining or to find something where Cabrera has uh, been a a quality player for the team this year. Um, I came up with a lot of uh, nebulous uh, stuff, things like we say, everybody says about Dusty Baker, I guess. he, you know, Everybody likes Cabrera. Matter of fact, I've come to like him over the year. He seems like a really good guy. He, uh, uh, you know, in the clubhouse, people like him, and uh, he's it's clear he's a leader on the team, and, and it was it was funny when he was a bat boy in that one game, and, you know, um, uh, but... Uh, I think that all I can say for Cabrera is he, he, he didn't try to come back from injury quickly, and he let Paul Yonish play. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I tried today. I looked and I looked, and I was trying to say, well, maybe Cabrera will get hot. Maybe he's got a week in him where he can, you know, he'll hit 400 and he'll he'll slug 500 and he'll kind of carry the team for a, a week. I mean, every player in the major leagues has a week like that. So I started looking through it, just trying to find any 10 day, 10 game period where Cabrera was hot. And I found, I think, one 10-day period where he had an OPS over about 850. You know, he just he just do, he just does what he does, which is he hits about 265 with just a little bit of doubles power, 
I mean, you know, he had that 650 OPS almost every one of those 10. Yeah. He didn't have a lot of, you know, just total zeros, but he had almost every one of those 10-day periods was at 650 OPS. Consistent, just just consistently bad. Yeah, and you could maybe hide somebody like that in the lineup if, A, he's a uh, brilliant defensive player, or, B, he's batting eighth in the lineup. But, of course, the and that's really where I – it's hard to – fault Cabrera for this, but that's where it's killed me is just having to watch him up near the top of the lineup and at the top of the lineup for much of the year. Um, you know, and, and when you look at his, his hitting numbers for shortstops, he is right at the bottom. I mean, it's, he's in the bottom two or three um, in just about any statistic you want to look at, any any of the advanced metrics or even the, you know, uh, old, old stats that were the rate stats and everything that we're used to for years. Defensively, you know, I get, he, he, he doesn't make a lot of Errors, uh, you know. I mean, he he handles the ball well. He he just doesn't get to very much. Uh, yeah, he's got good hands. He gets rid of the ball pretty quick. He turns the double play okay. He just he just it doesn't have any range. Yeah, it is what happens to thirty six year old shortstops. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, it's, it's not his fault. Uh, but he's actually been a little bit better defensively than I expected him to be this year. Just in the sense that uh, if he can get to the ball, he, he's making the plays. He just doesn't get to as many. Yep. Of them. Uh, so you know, I, I want to. I, I want to uh, be able to say something nice about Cabrera. It's tough, you know. I'm, I'm a fan of Yanish because even though if, if Paul Yanish is not probably not going to hit much, although he hit okay this year, better than probably anybody expected for him, and certainly he hit very well when uh, Cabrera was out. At least you're going to get some uh, some elite defense out of him, and so that's why I've become a Yanish fan. Just he's he's just fun to watch uh, in comparison, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know what you can say for Cabrera? You can say that Jimmy Rollins batted 243 this year, <laughs> and he batted 250 last year. And you know he, the guy's got he the guy's got an MVP trophy on his shelf, but uh, you know he had a rough year. He had a rough year last year, so I know he's banged up. But uh, yeah, you know, they, they, it's it's hard it's hard to really give them a strong edge here. Yeah, I think they've got the edge, but I agree with you. You know, Rollins has been in a, a pattern of decline the last uh, two or three years, and it's nobody really saw it coming. Um, and, and those are a couple guys that maybe. Uh, if you talk to just sort of the Joe fan, you know, they think, oh, Jimmy Rollins, you know, he was MVP, you know, he, he's great. And, and and same with Cabrera, really, you know. Uh, one of my friends who's a big fan of the Twins uh, sent me a, a sort of a tongue-in-cheek email after the Reds clinch and said, uh, congratulations on Orlando Cabrera leading another team to the playoffs, you know. <laughs> <'Cause> he, <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing, Rollins is the kind of guy that, you know, if this was 15 years ago or 20 years ago when we were growing up, he would have been in the all-star starting lineup every year. Yeah, you know, he would have been one of those guys who, even after they they quit playing well, would have just had the name and just would have been you would have kept punching the, the ballots for him. And I think all star voters are a little bit, you know, more savvy now and pay a little more attention to the numbers. And and uh, but Rollins still has you know the star persona, and I guess he could still turn it on. But uh, it's kind of a you know lesser two evils thing here with him right now. Yeah, at some point you got to wonder if if Rollins is just not uh, done. So. I think, like I said, I think Philadelphia has the advantage here, but uh, not as big an advantage as you would expect, given uh, you know who the Reds have are running out there, uh, and that's sort of a similar situation, I would say, uh, in in left field. And I'm gonna, I know you're uh, itching to, to get started <laughs> yeah. on this. And I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna step aside and, and give just, you the floor. Yeah, let's just, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm I'm interested in who can come up with the the better Johnny Gums missing the cutoff man joke. I know we've, uh, I think we're trying. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I, I'm going to keep trying until he hits one, but um, or, or I die. But, <laughs> Whichever comes first, right? Yeah, basically, in left field, you've got two guys who are supposed power hitters who aren't hitting for power, who 
can't play like a defense. Um, I guess, you know, it's nice that Johnny Gomes doesn't make ten and fifteen million dollars a year, but it doesn't do us a whole lot of good in this series. So um you know, Gomes carried the club in May, I think. He did a did a lot towards carrying the club in May, but but outside of that month, I mean he's a he's a just about a dead average player and, and that's not that doesn't do it in left field and it really doesn't do it in left field when you can't run or field. So um you know, it's possible unlike Cabrera, Gomes can get hot and can carry the team. I mean, he can he can start just drilling the ball, but I, I don't know if Cabrera, if Gomes is particularly known for for squaring up really good pitchers. Um, and I think he kind of he tends to hit mistakes a lot. He can hit a fastball, that's for sure, but it, in certain spots, and and he will swing at bad pitches and you know get himself out. He, Johnny has some really quick at bats. Before you even see him stepping in the dug in the batter's box to do his little show, um, you blink and and he's walking back to the dugout. This mohawk. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the silver lining is. I'm trying to look at his numbers against the Phillies. I mean, I guess you know he's uh, he's he's got a home run off Cole Hamels and and uh, one off Halliday, and we got two off Joe Blanton if we happen to see him. But. Oh. Uh, I hope we see Joe Bland. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think good things are happening. With <laughs> Joe Bland, you're right. That's right. Um, well, you know, I, and, and, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Abanez has just had a really woeful year. Abanez had the the year that that everybody expected him to have, you know, yeah. last year. He's come back to earth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he, everybody that he surprised last year, he, he, you're right. He's, he's sort of come back to the player everybody expected. Uh, Gomes, uh, you know, I thought you weren't going to mention it there, uh, which is clearly his Gomes' uh, best, uh, I don't know, his, his biggest advantage here. Uh, you did finally toss it in there at the end. Is, is that Mohawk? I mean, you know, you got to give him some, some credit. I mean, you know. He's a Mohawk. Uh, and he, he stomps around, then he, he flexes his muscles, and he does all the stuff. I mean, I. I would not be surprised if a lot of kids love Johnny Gomes. I mean, he's a demonstrative guy. I mean, he, you know, he hustles. I, I I don't want to take it away from him. He plays hard. He's like Ryan Friel with a different skill set. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's 110% effort, um, not always for the good, but you can't question the guy's desire or his effort. So, you know, he just he's just not a – he. I don't know. I'd, I'd have Chris Heisey out there seven days a week, especially in the postseason when you got to catch the ball a little bit. But uh, as I, I think I wrote over on the – the uh, the Phillies blog today, uh, you know, Gomes is, is a, a double waiting to happen on any pitch, and and I'm not referring to when he's at bat. Yeah, I know. And at mid mid June, you know, his numbers were great, and, and and everyone was loving Gomes, and I never could have expected it. Well, I guess I could have expected it, but I ho- would never have hoped that it would have gotten uh, this bad by this point. His numbers are just bad. He's been better than, uh, two, you know, his hitting numbers are better than only Carlos Lee and Melky Cabrera this year, and and. Defense, the two biggest disasters in the National League. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's uh, there's not many ways to sugarcoat it. But now, when it comes to sugarcoating, I'm going to tell you. Tom Brenneman told me, Gomes, Gomes has a .333 batting average with two outs and runners in scoring position this year. So he's clutch. And 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 without any supporting evidence or, or examples, Tom will tell you that he's playing a really good left field too. So. I have heard him say that, but um, and that, that's, I just need to have Tom over to the house while I watch these games. <laughs> right, maybe part of the uh, you know, and, and a lot of people have been 
actually complimentary, not just Tom Brenneman, but complimentary of Gums. And, and maybe a lot of that is because, you know, it seems like in, in a lot of big situations, uh, he has sort of gotten a hit, you know, and that's why he, he's batting through 333 uh, in those situations. But um, it's just a, it's a situation where Philadelphia has a pretty poor left fielder of their own in Raul Abanez. And uh, I don't see any way that we can't say that he's better than, than what the Reds have. So you got to give the advantage to Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. So, but you know, the good thing is, is, is Abanez plays lousy defense. Abanez has no arm. So, um, you know, the Reds have, have, have this season done a really good job. And I, I don't know if it's Billy Hatcher's credit or Chris Spires or whoever does the advanced scouting. They will run on people that they can run on. I mean, they ran on Matt Holiday incessantly the first half of the year, especially. I mean, if they, you know, they hit one in the corner, they're definitely going to two. If they hit a, a single to the gap, they're going to try to stretch it. So hopefully they'll try to take advantage of Banyas that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that it's something they've done all year, and I'm looking forward to watching them uh, do some more of that in this series. Uh, we'll move on. The next couple of positions are a little bit more uh, interesting from our perspective. Center field, uh, you know, and, and I want you to point out some of the uh, things you were pointing out in a comment I thought was really interesting when you uh, looked at uh, what Stubbs has done lately. But Drew Stubbs says for a guy that's in his first year, First full year playing in the major leagues, you know, had some again some highs and some very low lows. But when you look at it, he's really had a pretty good year. And and I stuck his numbers next to Shane Victorino, uh, who's obviously the starting center fielder for the Philadelphia Phillies, and and their numbers are uh, remarkably similar. They're not you wouldn't put them side by side and think that they would put up similar numbers because they don't look anything like each other. Um, and uh, but you know Stubbs with a with a 108 OPS plus, you know. Uh, Great defense. Uh, he's hit 22 home runs. You know, I don't have any complaints about Drew Stubbs, and you can make a pretty good argument that he. Had, I called it a push on the on the website, but you can make a good argument that uh, Stubbs is is better right now. Yeah, I I uh, well, I think right now he absolutely is better, and and you know the numbers that that you're referring to. Uh, see if I can pull them up here. I I just looked at at what uh, Drew Stubbs had done after what was it uh, August first. I think so. Uh, after August first, yeah. it was it was mind-boggling. I mean, his his OPS would have ranked fifth in the National League. I mean, it was something like nine forty-three or something crazy like that. Since August first, three hundred eight with the three ninety-three on base and a five fifty slugging, uh, and he's stolen twelve bases. If you if you put that out to one hundred sixty-two games, it's it's seventy extra base hits, including thirty homers and thirty-nine steals. I mean, it's it's basically. You know, you put that in center field with that kind of defense, that's an MVP right there. And uh, I didn't know it. I had not noticed that in the last, whatever it's been, nine weeks. I did not know he was doing that. I know he'd had a couple of good games, and he seemed to hit home runs a little more often than he had been. I had no idea that he was was smoking them all that well. Yes, exceptional production, uh, certainly for a center fielder who plays great defense and getting better defensively every day. you know, Bill Lack and, and some other guys that watched him down in Dayton and in the minor leagues have been raving about Bruce or uh, excuse me Stubbs's defense um, for years now, and, and, and he had maybe some some hiccups early in the year, but uh, he, he's great defensively. And, and man, when he, if he can hit like that, uh, that's a guy that uh, I'll take uh, every single day. So uh, no complaints about Drew Stubbs this time. And it's funny, he kind of kind of hit that uh, streak when it, they were talking about. Sending him to the minors, if you'll recall, Chris Dickerson was yeah. going to come back, and then all of a sudden well, Stubbs started hitting. Exactly, I think I think that was right when he was he was slumping. So Dickerson was traded for Edmonds. Edmonds promptly got hurt, 
And then everybody got hurt. So that there, you know, not only could Stubbs not get sent down, Stubbs couldn't even get a, a, a couple innings off because it was going to be Miguel Cairo out there. So, you know, he was dusty, had no real choice but to, to play him every day. And, I, and that must have been what was going on. We were, we were, you know, throwing our arms up about, about the Cardinal series and then about there only being three outfielders on the roster. And then, you know, Brandon Phillips' hands hurt and when's Drew Stubbs coming, I mean, uh, Jay Bruce coming back. And I, I wasn't paying attention. Drew, Drew Stubbs is just killing the ball. Yeah, he took advantage of uh, the fact that he was. Uh, they were sort of relying on him more, and uh, a lot of people love Drew Stubbs right now for for good reason. You want to move over to right field, and I'll let you take this. And that's, I think, the most interesting comparison. Um, maybe not uh, the best comparison for the Reds' advantage, but uh, uh, a pretty well, interesting yeah, one. I think. Yeah, it is an interesting. One. And that, you know, one thing about these these position by position, I mean, it's 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 the logical way to do it, and it, and it uh, it's fun to do, but. You know, not every position is created equal, and not every you know slight edge is the same as a slight edge here or there, and and uh, you know, you know, whatever. Catcher's not as important as as first base, I Absolutely. guess, from an offensive standpoint. So, um, but anyway, I mean, Jay Bruce has, I think, arrived. I think we were all um, in varying degrees. I mean, I think you and I have always been huge fans of his, but I think a lot of fans were. We're impatient and wanted to, oh, we need to see some development. And then others of us were saying, hey, he's 23 and he's been playing in the big leagues for two years. I mean, it's whatever you're getting is pretty good. But uh, I think, you know, with the injury he's had, um, what he's done in the, in the, the last, you know, close of the season has, has been phenomenal. I, I'm looking at what he did in that August 1st to the end of the season, uh, 338, 418, and he slugged 699. That's an 11 Eleven, eighteen OPS. I mean, that's up there with Joey Votto, and and that's on pace for fifty-seven home runs in a season. So, <laughs> so Jay's been hitting the wall well. Um, hopefully, he rolls that right in. I mean, obviously, the moment when when they clinched was was a great moment, and 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 one that'll go down as one of the the most memorable Reds moments the last now fifteen years easily. So, uh, on the other side, you got Jason Worth, who is. A, a really athletic player. I mean, that's how I always think of Jason Worth as a really just an, an exceptional athlete. Uh, he's not nearly the defender Jay Bruce is. He's got a good arm. Um, he's fast, but I don't think he, he plays. He's not as good a baseball player in the field as Jay is. Um, but he had a great year, too. He's really the only Philly um, hitter who had a great year this year. And uh, and Worth, he, I think he kind of carried the team. He had 46 doubles and 27 homers. Uh, you know, he, he walked 82 times. I mean, the guy, the guy's legit. I don't know what his weakness is. I haven't, I haven't really found one. Um, so, you know, I guess, I guess the good news is he's right-handed, and the Reds got three right-handed starters. Um, I'd probably call this thing a push, but maybe that's. Uh, I think a Philly fan would would give them the edge. So, that's, yeah, that's, that's that's what I'd say. That's about the way I uh, I did call it a push uh, at, at relegation, but. Uh, Based on some of the things you were saying, but you know, Worth is an, he's an outstanding player, and uh, and he is he's he's like you said, he's the one guy who really has been uh, exceptional for them this year. Uh, about Bruce, briefly, one thing that has been uh, heartening, I guess, in terms of Bruce's development, and, and when you say Jay Bruce has arrived, one of the reasons why it really is starting to appear like he has legitimately arrived is he has started hammering left-handed pitchers uh, lately like uh, never before. He'd been talking about it early in the season, and, and there were times early in the season when he looked better against lefties, but he'd been talking about what he did in terms of 
wanting to be like Joey Votto and approach him the way Joey Votto approaches left-handed uh, pitchers. And, and he's really he's really done outstanding. You know, 11 of his 25 homers were against left-handed pitchers this year. And, of course, the, the memorable one uh, on the night the Reds clinched. And, and let's be clear about the, the night the Reds clinched. It was, one of the most ama- it was probably the most amazing moment I've ever been uh, part of at a ballpark. And I tried to get you to uh, to go to the game. So uh, that's why I'm downplaying because you drove six hours and I wouldn't drive two. Well, uh, I'm a little bitter about it. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a just a, a a magical night. But uh, I'm the same way. Uh, I feel the same way as you do about that. It's a uh, uh, I'm very comfortable. Although they've got a great right fielder, I'm very comfortable with the guy that we've got out there in right field as well. Especially when you put, take into account uh, his outstanding defense defense like i've never seen at cincinnati right fielder uh play i just uh you know um and i think you put it uh, just he's, he's he's athletic and he, he goes hard after balls out there and uh, just uh, fun, you never would think that you uh, a right fielder would be fun to watch play defense it's certainly not like we talk about with the shortstop but he is he's, he's fun to watch out there yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't know that he he redefines the position um but he plays it he plays it differently than than anybody. I mean, I think Ichiro is probably the best right fielder I've ever seen. Maybe probably the best, uh, besides maybe Barry Bonds, the best defensive outfielder I've ever seen. But uh, but Jay Jay does a really he does a lot of fun things out there, and, and I I really respect how hard he plays. And you know he's a first round talent. He's a first round pick. He's a super talented guy. He he was you know he was buddies with Dunn and Griffey, who had kind of a bad reputation in some circles. But I don't think Jay Bruce gets nearly enough credit for how hard he plays the game. I mean, that guy gets after it. He hustles to every single, every double. He gets in good position to throw, and he, and he puts a good throw on the on the bag at second every time. So I'd like to see him get a little more um, respect. But you know, he could. I could see him making a play in this series, kind of like the Paul O'Neill play in uh, Game Two of the 1990 LCS, oh, yeah. where he threw out Van Slyke at third. Um, you know, or like a Dave Parker play from the All Star Game in '79, where where he makes a play defensively that kind of, and you know, puts his reputation puts his reputation to match his abilities and defensively. Yeah, yeah, and it's a good opportunity on a bigger stage for him to do something like that. And the thing I keep saying, uh, I do want to agree. I think nobody would have been surprised if he were sort of a, a you know, I don't, I don't know what the way to put it is, but uh, the typical first rounder, you know, uh, hey, look at me. Instead, he does. He plays as hard as anyone on the team, but. Um, and it's it's just it's fun to watch. The thing that I keep thinking about when I look at Jay Bruce and the numbers he's put up and what he's doing now, the guy is 23 years old. It blows my mind. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, if he was a college player, he would be he would probably be finishing up. He would have finished the season in Double A, getting ready to go to the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. So, uh, boy, that pick panned out. Okay. Uh, you know, we've gone went a little longer on that than I wanted to go. And, and let's quickly, if you. I don't mind. Let's shift over to the starting pitching matchups. And you're absolutely right that you know the way we did this, some of the matchups at the position players is it's mostly for fun. Uh, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of uh, you know it doesn't mean a whole lot other than just a, sort of a fun way to compare the teams. But now the pitching matchups are a little bit different in terms of these are the guys that are going to be pitching the same games against each other. And uh, we've already talked about the game one matchup uh, at length: Roy Halladay versus Edinson Volquez. Any anything else you have to to add to that? Uh, I think we maybe. No, no. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be tough uh, for the Reds certainly because Halliday's good, but uh, Volquez is. Uh, I, I love I love Volquez, so I, we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, it'll be the good Volquez. Game two is a, a very interesting matchup in a million different ways. Uh, Roy Oswalt going for Philadelphia. Obviously, Oswalt um, 
for years with Houston was a, just a Reds killer, a Glavin-esque Reds killer. Um, you know, was 23. He's currently for his career 23 and three with a 2.81 ERA. But uh, this year, before he went to Philadelphia, the Reds finally started uh, touching him up and, and, and beat him up pretty good in a couple starts. And the Reds are countering with Bronson Arroyo, who my favorite player, frankly, just because he's fun to watch pitch. Uh, what are the what are the storylines, I guess, from an Oswald Arroyo matchup? Well, you know, I think Oswald it's it's has have the Reds finally figured him out. I mean, I think I, you know, we all know the history. Roy Oswald dominating Cincinnati Reds. He was the the 2000s version of Tom Glavin, just a complete Reds killer. And then uh, the last four times uh, with when, with the Astros, the, the last two times in 09 and the two times we faced him this year, the Reds have gotten to him pretty good. And uh, I think his ERA is six and a half or a little bit more than that. So, uh, you know, Oswald's gone back to his old form since he put on a Philly uniform. Uh, I don't know what that means. I, I think Arroyo, I think we kind of talked about him a little bit. Um, you know, he can keep you in the game or he can melt down. Um, but I, I don't know what we're going to see out of Oswald. If he's if he's on like he used to be, it's it could be trouble. But you know the guys he used to dominate aren't here anymore. He 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 won games against Sean Casey and Adam Dunn and Ken Griffey and Austin Kearns and and Barry Larkin and Eddie Taubensy for that matter. So I, I think you know I think that they've they've shown an ability to, to square up Roy Oswald a little bit in the last couple of years, and hopefully they've got at least some confidence in that game. Yeah, I think that I'm more concerned about whether Arroyo is going to toss a stinker out there than I am uh, whether uh, what the Reds are going to do against Oswalt. Uh, maybe that's unjustified given the way Oswalt's been pitching uh, since he came to Philadelphia, but um, I'm, I'm comfortable with that matchup. Cole Hamels versus Johnny Cueto in, in Game 3. I, I, I thought Cueto would be going Game 2. Uh, I don't know if it, this, bount, this played into what Dusty's thinking was, but um, Cueto's been a little bit better at home this year than on the road, and uh, surprisingly, considering the, the type of pitcher Cueto is, uh, Cole Hamels, you know, wasn't that good last year, and this year he's been pretty good again. Um, left-hander. Uh, he kills the Reds, man. He just kills them. Yeah. Uh, what's his ERA? 1.07 against the Reds in his career? I mean, it's something insane. Yeah, 6-0. Six 6-0 yeah. with a 1.07 ERA in seven I don't know stands. how we ever get a no decision against him. I, I don't... Um, that guy just kills the Reds, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I don't think Dusty was thinking home field with Cueto. I think it was just a matter of, of putting the junk baller in between the, the two harder throwing guys. But uh, it, it is remarkable how well Cueto's pitched in, in Great American Ballpark. I don't, I don't know of any other pitcher that has that kind of split that that pitches better there than a, on the the pitcher's parks. Definitely. Yeah, you know, I, I went back to look at the Cueto's numbers against Philadelphia and. Uh, it's hard to look at the the career numbers against Philadelphia because he had that game last year where he gave up about <laughs> ninety eight runs or something. Yeah. Um, but this year he's pitched against him uh, twice. One and oh, one point two ERA went uh, eight innings in one of those games. Gave up a run on six hits and then got a no decision after pitching seven strong innings, uh, just giving up four hits and one run. So he's had some success this year against Philadelphia. So uh, reason reason for hope there as well. Um, any any other thoughts about the pitching? About uh, well, about anything with respect to this? Before we make our predictions, anything else about this matchup that uh, jumps out at you that we haven't mentioned? No, not really. I mean, we've talked about the Reds bullpen. I mean, we could talk about the Phillies bullpen a little bit. Um, I'm not all that familiar with him, honestly. I, I know, you know, uh, they got Brad Lidge, and hopefully he can go back to his old melting down ways. And and uh, uh, Ryan Madsen's been been awesome for him. I think they they want to put the ball in his hands and. 
you know, they'll probably use their bullpen less than the Reds use, use theirs. The Phillies starters are probably going to go deeper in the games. At least that's, I'm sure, their plan is they run those guys seven innings, let Madsen have one, and, and then, uh, you know, J.C. Romero pitches against, against Jay Bruce and Joey Votto and hope for the best with Lidge. And he's had a good year, so, um, you know, I think that's probably about it. I don't we yeah. get too, in, too spend too much time talking about guys who aren't going to pitch unless it's a mop up. Right, yeah. Uh, unless you want to spend a little bit more time talking about Bill Bray, because we, I think we beat that one to death earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, in retrospect, maybe that <laughs> we may have lost some listeners during that part. That's right. Hopefully they came back. Um, all right, then. Well, I guess, you know, at this point, uh, nothing left to do but make some predictions. I just put a poll up at Red Lake Nation earlier today. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you predict for this uh, series? And uh, it's going about the way I expected the votes would go um, at a, a Red-centric site. But uh, you have a prediction for us? Yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to predict the Reds lose. So I'm going to say the Reds in five. Um, can go either way. You know, I, I posted a, a clip of that Eric Davis home run from the 90 World Series, and I, I think – this team's pretty resilient. I mean, I think they could. This team could lose the game one on the road to Halliday and and come back and still win that series, the Reds. But uh, it sure would be nice to have Joey Votto, you know, smoke a laser in the first inning uh, over that right field wall and and get the Reds off early and and you know give Volquez a lead to come out to pitch. So uh, something like that happens, I think uh, I'm going to feel a lot more relaxed. Yeah, definitely, and that's, that was my prediction I made uh, the other day, and, and uh, haven't actually written it on the website yet. But Reds in five, obviously not going to pick against the Reds. And um, but you posted that video earlier today of, of Eric Davis in Game One of the 1990 World Series off of Dave Stewart, who was as you know as intimidating a pitcher as there was in the league really at that time. Um, uh, I guess non Clemens division maybe, but uh, was an awfully good pitcher. And, and Davis stepped up with the Reds' big underdogs and just smoked the ball, and they're really, you know, people you always think, well, people's made too much of the fact that the Reds thought, hey, we can do it now. But there was really sort of a feeling, hey, you know what? We, we can play with these guys. And, and I could absolutely see a similar situation with a team like the this year's Reds, who uh, nobody's expecting much of, hasn't expected much of all year, uh, and Joey Votto step up and, and rip one out uh, to left center field or something, and, and all of a sudden everybody's like, hey, you know what? We can do this and and uh, and sort of follow Otto's lead. I can see something like that happening, uh, and uh, and maybe that's wishful thinking, but it it makes sense with the type of team that we have this year. Like you, you said, the word resilient. They have been all year, and and their team is the, I hope uh, hope ready for prime time at this point. Yep, I, I you know I looked up today. I found that the when they, they had three real bad moments this year: the 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 sweep in Philadelphia, the sweep in Denver, and uh, the sweep in Seattle. I thought were three really tough stretches for them or not you know not the uh not the denver one the uh the, the cardinal scores at home yeah and after every one of those two of them they went eight and two after and the other one they went six and four and then and then won a few more games after that so you know they've they've i don't want them to lose all four and then become resilient but uh or all three and then become resilient but uh you know i think they can do it it's it's short series anything can happen the, the phillies are, are a better ball club on on whole but uh it's it's it, put it this way, it's closer than the 1990 series was on paper. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I've been uh, tossing that uh, uh, term believe around all uh, year, because, well, not for the last couple months, because this team has really sort of made us believe, uh, and, and I want to believe uh, badly that this team can, can do it. So going to be fun. Uh, I can't imagine being more excited. I'm, I just can't wait for uh, first pitch to get here. It's, it's fun to have playoff baseball back in Cincinnati. Yep, it's going to be great. Definitely. Chris, appreciate you joining us. Uh, appreciate all you guys out there listening to uh, what ended up being a lot longer uh, 
discussion than I expected, but it was a lot of fun talking about the Reds in the playoffs. Uh, thanks for downloading us. Uh, all the previous episodes of Red Lake Nation Radio can be found at the RN Radio tab at the top of Red Lake Nation, and you can subscribe via iTunes. Um, and, and hang with us at RedLegNation.com because we've been having a lot of fun lately talking about this uh, this fun team, and, and let's hope we got a 11 more wins out of this bunch. For Chris Garber, this is Chad Dotson saying so long. 